This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. Monday, March 6th, WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. It's a joy to be with you today. We're going to be talking about law and order versus treatment versus treatment uh, over trauma. What do you think about that? I mean, you have crime is at the center of many of these elections all around the country. Indeed, uh, New York City Mayor uh, Eric Adams said, you know, that what happened in Chicago is a is a warning, a stark warning to everybody who is running for office at any level uh, throughout the country. So what do you think about that? What do you think about law and order? What is the best way to achieve <clears throat> excuse me, not just lowering crime, but achieving peace. Or is that the point? Uh, you know, you want the police to have your back. You don't want them on your back. So we've got to find the happy balance. You know, when we talk about defunding the police, I never agreed with that language, but I understood the thrust. This is about hiring more social workers and psychiatrists and psychologists and support staff to help the police. Because they are not trained in social work and psychology and psychiatry. That is not what they do. They might have some cursory, cursory, excuse me, work, but that is not what they do. So, or do we just need to go ham and have a ham-fisted approach to the law? Just hire more police, more police who are disconnected from the communities in which they do police. So let's talk about that today, because that is at the heart. Indeed, many people say that is at least one of the factors that drove um, the current mayor, Lori Lightfoot, out of office. I want you to call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278. Is it treatment over trauma, or do you want law and order? Do you want something? Do you want a hybrid? Do you want something in between? Call me at 773-763-9278. We're going to have tremendous panels talking about that, people from all around the country, because, indeed, this is something that is impacting L.A., New York, Detroit, Atlanta, Jackson, Mississippi, just everywhere. People are talking about this, everybody, in Chicago. We're going to have a high of 56 degrees. It'll be positively spring-like, but it will be cloudy. In Minneapolis, St. Paul, 36 degrees, snow showers. In the NBA, the Timberwolves will be playing the 76ers tomorrow, but the Pacers were triumphant over the Bulls just by a basket, 125 to 122. And then in the NHL, the Senators will be playing Chicago tonight. Minnesota is off. And in Major League Soccer, Chicago and New York City were tied at one on Saturday, and they'll be playing Philly uh, this coming weekend. Minnesota United will be playing New York. Uh, well, you know, it's just, it's time for all of these sports, everybody, all of these sports. I want to get some of these headlines in, everybody. It's almost time for us to spring forward one hour for daily daylight saving time. Do you like that, everybody? I want you to call me at 773-763-9278 and let me know what you think about that. I am so tired of going back and forth. Ah, The National, uh, well, you know, they had another derailment. 
Did you see that, everybody? They had another derailment in Ohio. What is going on, everybody? The National Transportation Safety Board is sending investigators to Ohio today after another Norfolk Southern freight train derailed there over the weekend, prompting calls to shelter in place before authorities announced the wreck was not hazardous. This comes just one month. February 3rd, uh, after another Norfolk Southern train derailment across the state in East Palestine, Ohio, where people are now getting sick, everybody, and they want to know what is going on. They are under intense scrutiny, intense scrutiny indeed, many of the workers are sick. And you know, they do not, for the most part, have paid sick leave. 3,000 Norfolk Southern unionized workers were able to get Uh, paid sick leave in the midst of this crisis over the past couple of weeks. But real workers in the United States do not have paid sick leave, and they've got to clean this mess up. Think about that, everybody. In Ukraine, intense fighting is raging around the city of Bakhmut in eastern Ukraine, where analysts assess that Russian forces are encircling Ukrainian units. More than 40 million federal student loan borrowers could be eligible for up to 20 thousand dollars in debt forgiveness but they will likely have to wait several more months before the supreme court rules on whether president joe biden can implement his proposed relief program what do you think about that everybody call me at 773-763-9278-773-763-9278 of course Yesterday was the 58th anniversary of Bloody Sunday, the response to the killing of Jimmy Lee Jackson, indeed, uh, a veteran who was trying to vote. And it was his killing that prompted uh, Dr. King, at the urging of Mrs. Amelia Boynton, to come to Selma, to come to Selma. And so much happened, indeed, that is uh, where we got our Voting Rights Act. That it came out of that particular struggle. And President Biden, for his portion, made a fresh call yesterday for a new for new voting protections during his remarks in Selma, Alabama, uh, to commemorate the 58th anniversary of the landmark Bloody Sunday March, which was led by Hosea Williams, the iconic Hosea Williams, one of Dr. King's top staff staffers and, of course, SNCC uh, leader. John Lewis. And of course, John Lewis was beaten on that bridge on marching across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And uh, Reverend Reeb, Jim Reeb was killed shortly after that, a young white preacher coming out of uh, out of Boston. And then that prompted Mrs. Viola Liuzzo, a white mother of five wife of a union leader who went down there she said i just can't i can't take the injustice and while she was working trying to move marchers around shuttling them to the airport she was a volunteer she was murdered on the road shot shot uh at close range bless her heart and her children struggle today her children struggle today a wonderful wonderful family the liuzos and we can never think forget the blood of the martyrs the blood of the martyrs who gave us our rights today now we're having to beg people to vote think about it everybody a lot of people died so that we would have that right of course we have got the author of 57 days wait for a new heart your gospel sister the legendary pam morris walton how are you today I am doing wonderful, and you sound great. How are you doing? Oh, I am doing great. I'm so glad that I'm like you, that God has given me yet another day. Yes, yes, yes. On his wake-up list once again. It doesn't have to be. It feels good. Yeah, it didn't have to be. It feels good. It feels good. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. 
So what is the good news today? You know, I so look forward to hearing from you. <laughs> well, today, today, Santita, I'm thinking it is Women's History Month. It began, um, um, what, five days, six days ago, because this is March 6th. And I have five words for everyone this morning with a lot of emphasis to women. Don't give away your joy. Mm. Don't give away your joy. Five words. This joy that I have, I Mm. think about this song. It may be familiar with uh, a number of our viewers and listeners this morning. This joy I have, the world didn't give it to me. And the world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. Mm. This joy that I have, Jesus gave it to me. Jesus gave it to me, and the world can't take it away. We have joy. Jesus has given it to each one of us. Don't let the world or anyone in the world take it away. Don't let anyone take away your joy. It's Monday morning. Don't let people or any person, any one person, any circumstance steal your joy. Difficult situations happen to all of us. It will come into our life. But there is no way, sometimes there is no way to escape it, to escape it. In a world, you will have tribulation. Jesus said that, but you want to be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. St. John 16 and 33 reads, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. When the trials of life come your way, you don't have to be defeated. You don't even have to be depressed. Be of good cheer and hold on to your joy. And if by chance you've lost your joy, please retrieve it. <laughs> Tell yourself every day, I'm God's person. For the women, I'm God's woman. Jesus has given me joy. I am a person of joy. Take dominion over whatever tries to interfere with your joy. And remember who you are, because you are a child of the king. So don't give away your joy. Thanks, Santita. Amen to that. Amen to that. Oh, we. You know, Maya Angelou said, you know, ladies, don't lose your sweetness. And that, it's all bundled to me, losing our joy, losing our sweetness, losing. That's something that keeps us going every day, a joy that you just can't explain to anyone. I love you, Pam Morris Walton. You would never know that this woman is the recipient uh, of a heart transplant. I want you to get her book. It will absolutely bless you. 57 days. Wait for a new heart. You need to read this book. You need to read this book. You do. You do. And I'm going to have to bring you on with Dr. Knighton to talk okay. to, we'll, to talk one day we'll about one day. We'll transplants. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Because, yes. you know, Dr. Yes. Knighton is holding right now because, you know, that is something many of us, particularly in the black community, because, you know, quite frankly, we've been experimenting on. Let's just keep it 100. 
Let's keep it 100. We have been the object of experiments, of, of experimentation since we've been here. And so when it comes to becoming a donor, Dr. Knight, many of us are not just reluctant, reluctant. we're loathe to do it, loathe to do it. And yet, when I see someone like Pam Morris Walton, but for the grace of God and someone donating, being a donor, she wouldn't be here. So, I mean, can you help to speak to people about about donations, about, you know, about becoming a donor, about becoming a donor. And particularly, you know, some, being a donor is not that easy because sometimes you have, to, you have to prevent infection, right? You have to prevent rejection. What is the upside to being a donor, Dr. Knighton? Good morning. I think the biggest upside is that somebody else is having a choice of life, but I think that there are more than one way to think about it, Santita. So there's becoming a donor, like let's say after death, and then there's becoming a donor while you're living, meaning that there are individuals that, you know, will give a kidney, you know, to a loved one um, or to a stranger, you know, if they know that someone needs it. But that does require it being a two-way thing. So one being a match on the individual side that is donating, but then on the individual that is receiving it, their their body's ability Um, to not be able to reject it, which sometimes can take a series of medications. Individuals that do receive transplants are immunocompromised. Individuals that give, you know, an organ such as a kidney then have to learn how to function with just that one. And so that might mean, you know, if I'm specifically speaking about a kidney, you know, monitoring their creatinine levels more closely because your body is only having to function on one kidney opposed to two. The other being becoming a donor after death, you know, there is a process that immediately when someone passes away, if they make the decision to um, donate their organs, there's a process and there is a quick time that has to happen in order for them to be able to take, like, let's say, their eyes. If someone has a healthy heart, that is worthwhile. So it really does come down to health that when you say, um, how is it when someone donates or what is the benefit to doing so, they have to essentially be in good health, meaning you're not going to take a heart that has congestive heart failure or a heart that, you know, may have some sort of um, sclerotic condition, which is like a hardening out of vessels or, you know, somebody that has heart blockage. You're not going to take, let's say, that kind of heart and decide that you're going to keep it. It could be a lung transplant. I could go on and on and on about how science has helped individuals to be able to live because, the essential organs that someone would need, there's the capability of of being able to put it in someone else's body in order for them to be able to thrive. And many people don't think about that, but it's like sometimes death of one person does bring about the quality of life of another, and that cycle continues to go on and on and on. And so it is a very important practice. There are 
implications when we talk about infections that is surrounding the process just within itself. But I think the biggest thing is is being able to take care of your body. I always say stay ready so you don't have to get ready. But it's staying ready just in case if you do need something like that, that your body is in condition to be able to get it. And I know months ago, Santita, we had a conversation about um, it was transplant patients and it was the COVID-19 vaccine yeah. and the individuals were being rejected from being able to get a transplant. But um, the mindset, even at that time, was that if someone took the vaccine and it lowered the risk of them having severe symptoms that were related to COVID-19, if they got it, then it wouldn't be a waste of having a transplant. And it also wouldn't put them in a worse situation um, than it would be if they didn't have something to suppress some of the severe symptoms of COVID by being vaccinated. And so many said, well, this is discriminatory, it's unfair. However, it's the same exact thing if you were to go get um, a lung transplant. Like, there's still, let's say, things that you have to do. Like, they might ask, like, hey, did you stop smoking? If you're going to get a liver transplant, are you still drinking? You know, there can't be things that you're doing that's going to automatically put you at risk of being in a worse situation or the same situation if you are to get that transplant. Yeah, but the thing is, why should a vaccine impact whether you can receive a transplant or not? I mean, particularly now as uh, as as things have continued to evolve, we see that it didn't... Well, you know, it mitigated infection, but it didn't prevent it. And now, you know, there's a link between that and heart issues. I mean, there's just a lot going on, you know, as as is, this continues to roll out. It is, and I can't speak for this particular one in itself. Mm-hmm. However, just mentioning that traditionally, the thing is, is there are like, let's say, a set of guidelines and criteria that you have to undergo in order to be able to get you a procedure or anything to have the best success. And in this particular instance, with us knowing that COVID-19 not only just impacts the respiratory system, which it was pitched as a respiratory disease, we know that it has implications for your brain. It could cause issues within your organs. And so we know that the severe of the severe of individuals that did receive um that either died or had the worst end of the stick with COVID, like some of them were at higher risk of these bad outcomes if they were immunocompromised. The individual that would be on some sort of uh, donor list, or not donor list, but needing an organ would nine times out of ten fall into that category because their body's not functioning like it needs to. So they're already immunocompromised. And if the vaccine's hope was to decrease the severity of symptoms, then at the time, the logic was is that, yes, if that is what this vaccine is intended to do, if some of these individuals were to encounter COVID in the meantime and their body's already immunocompromised, if they're uh, not vaccinated and they have to fight it off just by themselves, what does that survival rate look like? And Mm -hmm. I don't have that answer, and I'm not going to tell you that there haven't been issues since, but just giving you the rationale behind it. Mm-hmm. Same thing if somebody was to go get a bariatric surgery or gastric bypass. 
You can't just go and get a bariatric surgery because you feel like you need to have one. You have to undergo a series of counseling. You have to go through, and that's with nutrition. You got to talk to psychology. You got to undergo, like, all of these tests. They don't just do it. So this I'm is a witness. A <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it's along the lot saying the same thing. Like, they don't just say, hey, just go out here and do it. They want to make sure that you're set up for success. And I think mm-hmm. that sometimes when we think about, let's say, equity, and I'm specifically speaking of equity when things like this come around, the issue is it's not that we cannot apply programs. We cannot be compliant with the programs in a manner for which they're written, which may not necessarily account for the lack of resources or inequitable resources that someone would have with needing to get some of the procedures done. And so I think that we need to address some of those issues when we're talking about donating organs or needing an organ or trying to get on the transplant list is making sure that policies and stuff are written so that way things are done in an equitable manner. Because as we know, some people that need organs are automatically dismissed or don't qualify to even be on the waiting list because of issues that are around equity. Mm. You know, we have to continue to talk about that because that is, it continues to be an issue. And what continues to be an issue is the inattention that women of all colors and that people of color get when we get into the that we get into the, when we get into the healthcare system. The healthcare system doesn't seem to care for us as much as it needs to. So we're going to continue to talk with you every day. We're so blessed to have Dr. Shanina Knighton. Hey, Dr. Nina H E Y D R. N-I-N-A, that is her handle. And social media, you want to follow her. You don't want to miss her. Let's talk about law and order, everybody. Law and order, treatment versus trauma. What do you think? Should we defund the police or refund the police? Help them to do their jobs better. What is going to win in this election? Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio. We are in the midst of the Chicago mayoral election season. April 4th, ironically, the anniversary of the assassination of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. That is when we will go vote for the final time. You can vote right now. You can register and vote uh, on site. Uh, and just in the, in the aftermath of the Bloody Sunday commemoration in which we did, that is what won us our right to vote. I mean, even though we did have the constitutional right to vote, the, the amendment Uh, had been created in the aftermath of the ending of slavery. The fact is it was never enacted. So you need a vote. You needed a voting rights act in order to in order for us to be protected so that we could go on and vote and and fulfill that amendment from 1870. That having been said, um, now we have to beg people to vote. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But um, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. I want you to call me at 773. 763-9278-773-763-WCPT. Seven, 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 three, seven, three, what 
is driving this election? Well, the corporate media have said that it's crime. And when you talk to people on the ground, they're afraid to leave their homes. They're afraid to get on the L. They're afraid to get on the bus. They're afraid to take the subways in New York and on and on and on and on. So uh, what is the best way to deal with crime? Is it law and order or is it treatment versus trauma? That is to say, should we hire more social workers, more psychiatrists, more psychologists? Uh, Should we have more support for people who are in mental health crises or people who can just really be talked off the ledge? What do you think should happen? Or should we hire more police? Will that help us to to really push back on crime? So I want to know what your thoughts are. But before we do, Shapiro, I know you had a fantastic event on Friday night, even in the midst of the storm. How you doing, Shapiro? I'm great, Santita, and thank you so much for all of your audience members who came out to support us. Nina was there, and a couple of uh, other people sent in um, donations for the foundation, and we greatly appreciate it. And it was very successful. And we hope to see everyone out at the Courtney Copeland Memorial Foundation Gala next year. And hopefully we won't have any uh, any storms. But I just want well, to we can everyone could, We can contribute throughout the year, yes? Yes. You okay. can uh, contribute at www.copelandmemorial.com. That's www.copelandmemorial.com. This help us uh, to support our programs for our, our back-to-school book bag giveaway as well as also our college scholarship fund. So we are always available to help and assist the community and you, uh, your audience as well as also all of our uh, listeners help make that possible on Friday. Very good. Well, you know what? When you get these scholarship awardees, please, you know, let us know who they are so that we can pay tribute to them when they when you know when you're on the air because indeed it is your support everybody that will help these young people to get to college get to and through college and so we're very very excited about that Shapurl Shapurl our girl that's right from celebrations by us 708-526-4546 708-526-4546 sending you much love today and of course we are talking about uh, this mayoral election, this mayoral election, everybody, what is driving it? Many people are saying that at the center of it is crime and what we're going to do about crime. We've got Dwight McKee, social scientist and uh, pastor and lawyer. And um, indeed, she's at Rainbow Push. She's the, an educator. So she a lot of this stuff intersects with uh, Reverend Jeanette Wilson Esquire. But before I get to you, and we're going to have uh, we're going to have a lot of people who are going to be talking with us about this today. Let me go to Gregory from Rogers Park. Gregory, what's on your mind today? Well, good morning, ma'am. I was watching an interview with the Reverend Al Sharpton, and he said that we got stuck with this unfortunate expression. Uh, unfortunately, defund the police, and he preferred that we. Should have, and and maybe we can move, and you can help us move to rather a better expression of define the police. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's great. And, yeah, about that. I like that. And yes, and then I would say that I've been back in Chicago 21 years this June, and if we had a proper school enrichment program starting at age three preschool. You could have already raised a whole nother generation of at-risk youth for 15 years until 
age 18, then they could have done vocational or community college or college. They'd already be completing their apprenticeships in whatever field or profession that they would have gone in and would become journeymen this, this year. So here I am, 63 years of age, about to go to 83 years of age, about to go another 20 years. And we're going to raise another generation, and yet we don't have proper funding to get these kids out the gate at age three to get them off the gangbanger track and to become productive, wonderful citizens. And we can do that if we properly fund education in this country. And if there's any criticism that Brandon Johnson should have against Paul Vallis, is that perhaps, and I don't know this, but I suspect that he has been working with the budgets that he's been given, which is why he has been arguably said to have had limited results. But if he had been more forceful in trying to get the business community on class to do their fair share like they do in Europe and Japan and what have you, then we would have had that extra money that's been missing. And that's what Brandon Johnson's going to try to do, which is why I don't want Brandon Johnson to get too negative. I want him to critique Paul Vallis, not taint him. And those are my comments today, Santita Jackson, madam. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I'm going to play something uh, from Congressman Jonathan Jackson, who really encapsulated this um, so wonderfully. He said, you know, this is not personal. This is, you know, so we're not trying to vilify anyone. What we're trying to do is deal with an issue uh, of policing in the United States and crime and on and on and on. So let me go to, let me pivot to uh, Dwight McKee and to Reverend Jeanette Wilson. Dwight, how do you see, uh, how do you see crime playing out in this race and how should it be playing out in this race? Well, oddly enough, what creates crime is laws. Crime is a dynamic of power, not of morality. It is whoever has the ability to legalize their vices and illegitimize other people's vices. So crime is relative to who's in power and how they define what's legal and what's illegal. It also operates in terms of options, is how many options the people who are outside the process of, of, of power has in terms of getting themselves into a situation that legitimizes their or illegitimizes their vices. And so marijuana 10 years ago was a crime. Now it's a business. Drinking a hundred years ago was a crime. Now it's a business. Because the people who had power was able to mitigate their vices and make their vices legal and other people's vices illegal. And so the answer is that crime, then, then it needs to be customized. Uh, there is no single answer to say is the uh, more police the answer uh more psychologists to answer, uh, more uh, education to answer. It really depends upon the disposition and the attitude and the personality of the people who are committing the crimes. 
if you have a chemical obsession and that chemical obsession is a crime, it's considered to be a crime, then the answer is not to lock you up. It's to get you help <coughs> deal with that chemical obsession. Uh, that's the difference between how crime was perceived with uh, minorities and cocaine or crack and how uh, the vices of these young white kids who are called into these prescription drugs uh, who are addicted to them, that's not treated as a crime, it's treated as an addiction. Um, the answer is not to lock them up, just like the answer was not to lock us up. It was to get treatment. Uh, many of these kids who are robbing and plundering are doing so because they have few economic options. And they think the way to make a living is to rob and to plunder. Well, they may not need to be robbed or locked up, or they may need to be locked up. But they also may, may need more options to have economic security. Uh, for years, the Irish was locked outside of the system and the Italians were locked outside the system, and they used vice to get themselves into the economy. And then they went into more legitimate business. The option wasn't to always lock them up, though some of them needed to be locked up, and some were locked up. But what they did was they created more economic options for them, so they became a functional part of the economy and became policemen and firemen and... Uh, those things which then were legitimized in terms of career options. And so once you understand that crime is really customized and unique to the individual, then you can get customized treatment or you can deal with customized solutions. But it's not a one solves all. It's not if we get more policemen necessarily crime is going to go down. You just lock more people up. Well, how do you think people are going to vote? Are they going to vote for getting more police? Or will they vote for, or will they will they have a more nuanced approach? I think that, it, I think it's not going to be the, the people's approach. I think it's going to be, it's the mayoral approach. I think that uh, uh, Brandon Johnson seem to have a more nuanced understanding of that since he comes out of education. And so he both want to create more options. And he wants to also deal with uh, crime more as a vice that needs to be treated rather than a, uh, a violation that necessarily needs to be locked up. I think what Valor sees kind of a one-approach solution to it all just lock everybody up and let them work out their own issues in the jail. In, in jail. So I think that the people really need to understand the difference and vote uh, based on what they think long-term solutions are. I think, and I think that's going to vary based on uh, demographic. I think a lot of the, the white people who tend to be a l little less nuanced, many of them, not all of them, 
will see the solution as more policemen take the keys and lock them up. I think a lot of the minorities who understand uh, this more firsthand and more firsthand experience, who understand, you know, have experience with the absence of option or the absence of choices, will take a more nuanced approach and vote for Johnson. Mm. So, so what's your take? This? And everyone continue to call. I know I've got a whole lot of callers who want to get in. Call us at 773-763-9278. If the lines are busy, just keep calling everybody. We will get you in today. Reverend Jeanette Wilson asks Esquire. Your thoughts. What uh, what is going what is going to prevail? Law and order or treatment over trauma? Well, I think it's a little bit more complex than that. Uh one of the things that the media is continuously doing is painting this as police versus something else which they paint as unattainable. Obviously there has to be a, a different approach at uh at all of this. First of all, you have to know that when Dallas was hitting the school systems in any of these cities, those systems were controlled by mayors. Mayors have the power to determine the allocation of the city's resources and budget to schools and to other events. They decide basically how they want their school systems to run when it is a mayoral-led school system like Chicago was. At the time Dallas was here, there was an increased investment in a lighthouse, keeping the schools open later at night. Most of these children that are out in the street, and all of us who were young know what happens when children are left without adult supervision. You start thinking creatively about doing things that may at, at some point be illegal, but you don't think illegal. You just, we're having fun. This carjacking by 13-year-olds, that's not based on some drug or lack of resources. Somebody is telling these kids, you go here, we we Uber you downtown and, and to different places. You steal the car because you won't get the same amount of time as I will as an adult who already has a criminal background. You may only get a station adjustment because you've never been arrested, so forth. And so they they have these kids doing things. They don't even know the consequences of their actions. There are too many children in in school communities that are left out every single day. When they when school closes, they don't go home. There's nobody there. There's nothing for them. Park districts are shut down in the communities. And so I think when you look at Karen Bass in Los Angeles, she looked at some of the other causes of this bad behavior and it's levels of poverty. If I'm homeless, like 20% of the students that attend public schools in certain neighborhoods, they are homeless. So when you say go do homework, where, what does that mean? Where am I going? Where is home? Am I going to ride the L all night and try to uh, do my uh, reading and arithmetic? I wouldn't do anything. I haven't had dinner. Nobody's welcoming me home. Hey, hey, Susie Q, Johnny, welcome home. Mother has fixed you. They don't have that kind of atmosphere. The media is also playing a role in increased violence and promoting it. And in this mayoral election, you got two candidates. One was a former teacher and commissioner, it's a county commissioner, and the other has been in the budget office and has been heading a school system. The corporations changed the formula for 
our educational system in Chicago, we moved from a superintendent of schools, which meant you had to be an educator, to a uh, a corporate model where you had a CEO. That says, I'm looking at education as merely a business. And so as you look at it as a business, what are the outcomes that you expect? What do you, how do you plan to manage the children as if they are widgets? We have to teach children what they're not learning at home and what school is no longer teaching. They don't have any kind of right and wrong, moral behavior. You do this, you don't do this. If you do this, this happens. They're not teaching civics, the roles and responsibilities of stuff. When I was at CPS, uh, at that time, 12 children had been killed in one weekend, which was just alarming. It wouldn't be alarming today. We convened a faith community and uh, invited a friend of your father, well, a mentor of your father's, Dr. Samuel DeWitt Proctor, to come and speak. Had all of the educators in the room. As a result of his talking to them, we talked about what does it take to live in the polis? We don't teach that anymore. What does so it let mean me ask you this. Was, this happened when yes. you were working for Paul Vallis, right? Yeah, yes. Would, would he yes. be inclined, do you think he would be inclined to do something like that again? Because the way he's campaigning oh, I- right now, it is it is law and order. And, you know, when you look at the press reports, when he is, you know, with a frightened white community, he's not campaigning mm-hmm. that way. Just before I get to the callers, because I want, I want to bring some of the callers well, I, in so I, I you think, all can I respond think- to them. How he campaigns, how both of them campaign would have to change in terms of messaging. They've got to stop hitting these bullets that push the buttons of the people that fund them, whether it's labor for Brandon, whether it's the FOP labor and others or white ethnics for Paul. They've got to really say, what is your plan? Because it's not just crime, it is safety. You have uh, black and white business people who feel unsafe in this city because the... Period. It's not about uh, defund or not fund. The question is, how? what plan do you have to reduce the level of this kind of errant behavior? They're stealing cars. They, they hijack it, carjacking. They're robbing people downtown. That has well, got well, to be on. a real problem. Hold, hold on, Reverend, uh, and Pastor, excuse me, because, in fact, I've got no Otis who's dovetailing into what you're saying. He, his, his, okay. He's dovetailing. Otis from Chicago. How you doing, Otis? Hey, how y'all doing this morning? Good hearing your voice. Um, okay, uh, good hearing y'all too. Um, what I was thinking about is um, about I know I'm uh, 54 years old. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, I know about in the 80s and uh, we came up a little different because we still had street codes. But my thing is, uh, I keep hearing about the police and. Uh, that dude named Valis, my fault on my work. Uh, Valis mm-hmm. is, uh, he sounds like Mayor Daly with all this police, police, police. And, and we don't need to defund the police because we got good police officers there. Mm-hmm. The problem is they can't really speak up because we know they're getting in trouble, and that's a shame. And those, those, police, those police officers need to be protected. And I guarantee a lot of them will speak out more. But as for, like, um, black people in Chicago, we got the jobs. The only problem is we're tired of spending our money with other races of people that's not doing, that's not supporting our communities. Uh, like I always say, look at 75th from Michigan, all the way to 75th from Carter's Grove, those black businesses over there. They're making a lot of money. And, I, and the West Side is almost dried up. Only opportunity that I see, I keep saying this on uh, Lake Street and, um, and, uh, and, uh, um, Lake Street and, um, 
Uh, I forgot the name of that street. Uh, but um, Carson, Lake Street and Carson, that's a big factory for sale over there. That could be a black mall over there. That's, that place can make millions of dollars in that area. And, um, so and I so do you see the economic... You see the economic crisis economic. being at the center. I mean, what what, what do you think? Yes, what yes, do you think yes, is going? Yes, what do you think is going to win, Greg? I mean, Otis. Do you think um, someone who runs on law and order, or someone who's going to run on treatment versus trauma? Okay, uh, I, I would say that um, economics, because um, if you look at between look at the south side if y'all if y'all from the south side you notice this is different when you go to these black owned events and black owned uh cultures and, and restaurants that's a different that's a calmness there and i'm from the west side and i see it and i get jealous because uh y'all got made out there on the south side with the kind of black owned business and in the conversations and uh i believe just like the uh hispanic community you go around there they got a lot of cultures um they got they got they got uh businesses over there and uh, organizations that support they even the gay community over there and um and i'm like wow i'm like you know why what's wrong with our community why we can't come up like that so, so, so uh, my question for you otis is what can which what is going to win will it will it be um basically defunding the police, or should I say defining the police, you know, and getting more psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, or will adding more police? I mean, are we, is what's going to win, law and order what? or treatment over trauma? What? What's going to win? Treatment uh, of trauma over what? I don't understand. Treatment of trauma over what? Well, that's something that, that uh, Commissioner Johnson has been talking about, that as, as opposed to coming in with guns blazing, you need to bring in... Um, psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers—some people well, need to be talked out of their well, out of their encounters with the police. Oh, for regular shot out of them. Oh, you talking about uh, for uh, for regular people, the psychologists and stuff like that? Yeah. No, we don't need that. We, you know what? Here's the thing. We got that already in the neighborhoods. Even the neighborhood in the black communities, people don't go through. We, we got people that do that already. They just don't get on TV and talk about it. They don't get on the Internet and talk about it. We got them people already, young and old. What we need is, what we want to see, we want to see our faces at a, uh, we want to see our faces owning a grocery store. We want to see our faces um, in, even like uh, owning a bank or uh, um, a, 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 a lot or a, a shoe store, clothing okay. store. We don't even own that. So well, hold we that thought. That. You got black people coming Otis, there. Otis, hold that thought. We're going to talk during okay, the break. Um, but I want to know, everybody, what do you think is going to win? Law and order or treatment over trauma? What do you think is going to win? What will be the winning strategy on April 4th? What will bring us a new mayor? What will the new mayor do about crime in Chicago and all around the country? Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Good morning, everybody.
everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show on WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 Radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Let's talk about law and order, treatment versus tra- treatment over trauma, defunding the police. What's going to be the winning? What's going to be the winning message in the Chicago mayoral campaign? Many people are saying that Mayor Lightfoot lost because she wasn't strong enough on crime. Although, ironically, crime dropped on on you know on her watch. But what's going on here? You have one, I mean, just to put it very broadly, you have one candidate who's running on law and order and another one who they say is running on defund the police, but defund the police doesn't quite get it. I just got to, you all have to reframe that because that's not, I think that that was designed. It was named so that it would undermine the program itself, really. And, you know, because it really, this is about bringing on psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, People who can help in a crisis, not just in a mental health crisis, but just you, you, policing and keeping the peace. Well, you know, Dwight, you'll have to talk to me about how we went from uh, having uh, officers of the peace to having law enforcement officers, because something has happened with policing in America, you know, in my lifetime since I was a child. So let's talk about this, everybody. Call us at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Whose message is going to win on April 4th? It is now election season in Chicago. Whose message will win? Will it be law and order? Will it be something else? Uh, In Chicago, we're going to have a high of 56 degrees today, everybody, and it will be cloudy. Minneapolis, St. Paul. 36 degrees, snow showers. In the NBA, the Timberwolves will be playing the 76ers tomorrow, but the Pacers were triumphant over the Bulls, 125 to 122 last night. In the NHL, the Senators will be playing Chicago tonight. And in Major League Soccer, yes, we do have soccer this that time of year. Chicago and New York were tied on Saturday, and they'll be playing Philly this coming Saturday. And Minnesota, well, they'll be playing New York. Uh, That's right. So we got a lot going on in sports, everybody, a lot going on in sports. Yet another train derailment in Ohio. The National Transportation Safety Board is looking at yet another train derailment of Norfolk Southern, interestingly enough, a freight train derailed in Ohio over the weekend, prompting calls to shelter in place before authorities announced that the wreck was not hazardous. This comes just one month after another Norfolk Southern train derailment across the state in East Palestine uh, put the company under intense scrutiny because of the poisoning of the area. We will be continuing to look at that and we'll do an update before the week is out. Intense fighting is raging around the city of Bakhmut in eastern Ukraine, where analysts assess that Russian forces are encircling Ukraine units. More than 40 million federal student loan borrowers could be eligible for up to $20,000 in debt forgiveness, but they will likely have to wait several months before the Supreme Court rules on whether President Biden can implement his proposed relief program, everybody. And everybody went down to Selma yesterday, everybody. The 58th anniversary of Bloody Sunday. Indeed, Dwight, you put it so brilliantly, you said that is our Lexington and Concord, where, indeed, African Americans and therefore all Americans were able to secure, secure the right to vote. Bloody Sunday, when the then SNCC leader, John Lewis, and iconic uh, civil rights spokesman and SCLC staff member Hosea Williams led a march across the bridge, the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and they were beaten back and beaten up by the police. Indeed, um, uh, John Lewis sustained uh, from the police a life-changing head injury. 
You can't make this stuff up, everybody. But 58 years later, and well, really weeks later, after the deaths of Reverend, uh, Reverend Reeb, Reverend James Reeb, and Mrs. Viola Liuzzo, and of course, all started by Jimmy Lee Jackson's killing, well, we were able to get the Voting Rights Act, and now we're becking people to vote, everybody. Please get out and vote. It is the voting season in Chicago. You can have same-day on-site registration. No reason not to vote. Too many people were killed. They didn't just die. They had their lives taken from them as they sought to give you and I the right to vote. Let's talk about uh, this election. You know what? Congressman Jonathan Jackson put this so well yesterday. I'm going to give you a verbal on this. I want you to bring it up, uh, Devin, and I'm going to give you a verbal when we can go out. But I think he just kind of gave us a snapshot of how I think we should be framing this. Devin, can we bring that up now? Well, let me say, I don't want to vilify an individual. I want to keep this at the issue level. And the issues is the question about whether or not we are going forward with privatization or the fight for public education is what's very important. The issue is where we're talking about increased safety in our neighborhoods. And what does that look like? Is that simply more police overtime? Or is that investment in fully funded education with crimes that can be solved? Crime is an issue, but when you have 86% of the murders in the city of Chicago unsolved, that is a justice issue that we have to confront. And so there are many great officers out there that are working hard that need additional training and resources, and we need to solve crime. We both stand firmly on that. And the issue is, do we put more money into coaching than in early childhood development? What we're seeing now is our school system has been defunded, and it happened a long time ago. Our pension plan for our teachers has been defunded, and our police and our fire department, their pension plan has been turned around and defunded. So we have to look at a big picture here. I stand with Brandon Johnson for mayor. He has a long history of service, commitment, and he didn't get us to this point, but he can certainly lead us out of this crisis. This has been a cumulative effect. A lot of people have put put this issue down the road, and here we are at the crossroads for the city of Chicago, and we have to turn this around and go the other way. These are young people that are now doing most of this heinous crime. Where did it happen? There was a crime committed against them in their public school system. The bands were deconstructed. The pools were empty. The coaches were fired. I want us to fix this. And in the meantime, we have to put an end to crime on the street. No one's going to be soft on crime. Everyone has the right to feel safe. We're going to stand by those great officers that are working hard, and we're going to also stand by and protect the citizens of the city. Hmm. I think that kind of puts it all in a nutshell. Of course, joining uh, Reverend Jeanette Wilson and Dwight McKee uh, is, of course, Texas Harris County Commissioner, Rodney Ellis. We've got Regina Brent from United Partnerships. Indeed, she's building a bridge between the community and the police. And, of course, Attorney C.K. Hoffler, who, unfortunately, in your wheelhouse, you have to deal with a lot of these cases. So let's start at the top here. Um, Why don't you respond, everyone, very briefly to what you heard uh, Congressman Jonathan Jackson say, very, very briefly, if you would, uh, Dwight McKee. Uh, well, I think that he covered all of the bases uh, in terms of what has happened to the community, which has set up this, these quote-unquote crime waves. But I think a lot of this is also media-based, is because if you do statistically, a lot of crime is 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 uh, gone down 
And a lot of the crimes have been unsolved. That particularly the murder, the murder uh, crimes have been unsolved. And so the responsibility to solve those crimes really on the police, and they have not had to have to be really accountable for that. And so it really is a, uh, a product of what the media has emphasized. And the media has emphasized crime, 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 and has made it, uh, it is an issue, but they've made it more of an issue than they've made uh, what has happened with education and what has happened with, as Jonathan said, the defunding of the black community. If they made that as much of an issue, then uh, people would then focus on that a little more and see the relationship between crime and the defunding of of the community. Mm. I also think that the fact that there's a direct relationship between them having taken civics out of the schools in the last mm. 20, 25 years, and these people, these young people, not being so inclined to go and vote because they don't understand the role of the mayor's office in relationship to their everyday lives. And 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 the and because they need their own property, so property taxes is not an issue. Or they don't have kids in school, that's not a major issue. They don't understand the motivation of them needing to be involved in the civics process because uh-huh. they don't see themselves directly affected by it. And that's where a lot of the education needs to happen so that they understand that one way or another, they are uh, affected by who who's sitting up on the fifth floor. Mm. Well, let me hear from you. I've got a lot of folks here today, but I wanted to hear from Harris County Commissioner Rodney Ellis, because this is this is something that people are campaigning on in New York, in Detroit, in Chicago, in D.C. I mean, it's just this is like the national issue. Corporate media have shaped the narrative, and they're saying crime, crime, crime is the issue. But when you go into the black community in particular, and black and brown communities, they're saying, wait a minute, you're closing our schools. You know, we work in the city, but we cannot afford even to rent here. There are just a lot of issues. And I'm wondering what is going to be the winning message. You know, will it be law and order or will it be something else? Commissioner. Santita, uh, good to be with you. And Reverend looks so good. I'm so glad he was there. I know what he was thinking about going. I wondered if I'd gone over there, but I was running late because I had to shave. Yeah, he's looking so good. I- I'm going to get some of those hip glasses that he had on, too. Uh, just- <laughs> but look, here's the short answer. I think it'll be a combination of, of all of the above. I think Republicans govern on sound bites, and they campaign on sound bites. And I'll give you a little secret. They tend to campaign better than us and govern worse. First, you got to draw a distinction between running for office, winning the office, and then doing something with the office. You know, I think it might have been LBJ had that old line, so when you got to be in to do good. You know, you got to, to get there. If, if going back to that campaign, if LBJ had run on what he ended up doing, I don't know if he would have won. If Kennedy ran on what he was trying to do, I don't know if he would have done. He ran a highly inspirational campaign. And you know from your family better than most folks, what was the outside persona was a little different from uh, 
uh, what was done in other parts of the country. You know, in places where it mattered, he was out there more of a progressive side. Look, you got to remember, we just came out of a pandemic. Compare our crime stats to crime stats around the world. The proliferation of guns. You know, hey, it's in the state I'm in, where folk put more time into banning books than banning guns. Mm. So even if you all ban them in Illinois, you can't stop them from coming in. You know, everything is transportable uh, in this country. So just remember, in terms of us being a violent society, we have more guns in America than we have people in virtually every city in the country, clearly nationwide. More guns than we have people, even in places like mine, Texas, where it's hard to pull the numbers in. So let me tell you what we've been trying to do in, in Houston, in Harris County. It's a combination of it. You don't want to lose the spin war. You know, I think it might have been on the left, might have been on our side after the tragic killing of George Floyd. Somebody came up with that phrase, defund, nuttiest thing in the world. Oh. And they seized on it. They just grabbed, they grabbed the line. And what they were trying to say was reimagine. But they didn't say that. You take my budget, so you can Google it for any city in the, in the country. Finally, I'll take you my county, which is about a little smaller than Cook, as you know, about 4.8 million, y'all about 4.9 or 5. 44% of the budget goes in traditional law enforcement. Let's just call it boots on the ground. That's 44% of the general operating budget. If you throw in all of the criminal and civil divorces and all that court complex, public defender, which we inadequately fund, barely have one, didn't start it till about 10, 12 years ago, uh, and the prosecutor's office, it's over 60% of the general operating budget. The jail is bursting through the seams. I heard Jonathan say something, Congressman Jackson, about solving murders. It's hard to solve a murder. So sometimes what our partners in law enforcement do is go do the easy stuff. It's hard figuring out who killed somebody? Many of them, by the way, it's by someone close. It might be do- a domestic dispute. We clearly have to reimagine what we have been doing because you got to invest in these other things. You have to invest in early childhood. That's where people learn how to, me- to mediate before they get to school. You got to invest in the schools. You got to invest in violence interruption programs, opioids, crack, whatever it is. You got to invest in getting people off drugs, not just punishing them. And it's hard for us. Look, I've been in politics 39 years now. The most painful thing to do is tell people, I need some money to solve these problems. Now, my, whenever my, my my kids call me, rarely is it to say, I love you. I'm thinking about you. <laughs> they may work that in, but they need some money. <laughs> they love me. You know what I mean? They're thinking about me, but they really think about it when they need that ATM. You got me? Well, that's what we do as politicians. And the public forces us to do that. Who wants to hear we need more money? They want to say, take it from somewhere else. And then the least creative thing you do, violence interruption, alternative responder. Why do we call the police for everything? As we say in the South, police. Why do we call the police for everything? You know what I mean? Uh, uh, A spouse does not come home. Call the police. Maybe I'll figure out why she, he, they, them don't want to come home, you know. Uh, Mm -hmm. But we do. So you ought to invest in alternatives to calling the police for everything. Mental health responders. Sometimes you don't need a gun. You need somebody to talk them off that ledge. 
so it's a it's a complex issue. I'm I'm hoping I'm so glad that the mayor my mayoral candidate in Chicago's first name is Brandon. My chief of staff name is Brandon. And you know, Trump and them just mess with that Brandon <laughs> name so much. I'm just so glad. He reminds me in some ways since he's my age of, of Mr. Washington when he ran. You know, Harold just kind of had that down to earth, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Every guy in the neighborhood personality and persona about him. I'm coming over to Chicago, by the way, the weekend before, two weeks before the election with my son. He's looking at University of Chicago, and so I'm going to stay over longer instead of just flying in and flying out and spend a couple of days see Rev and see what's happening in your campaign and bring some money from Texas, by the way. Well, look, so, look, I mean, a winning it, strategy, it, it, I think, is all of the above. Well, you know, you're, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to figure out because, you know, as the corporate media have shaped the narrative, Regina Brent, you know, there are two stark choices, right? And, of course, with unity partnerships, you're saying, well, wait a minute, we need to bring the, po- the police and the community together. What do you think is going to be the winning strategy? What will be, will it be law and order? Will it be treatment over trauma? I mean, what do you think is going to win in this present political climate, Regina Brent? Good morning, Santita, and all the other guests that are on the panel. I'm honored to be amongst you, and thank you for the invite. Um, I, my work out here is to simply keep people safe, uh, especially black and brown people when it comes to policing. But as far as Chicago is concerned, you know, Santita, I'm a native, born 59th in LaSalle, Chicago. I was there 50 years of my life before I left. And I'm out here in the western suburbs now. But here's the thing. I think both strategies are good. Uh, Now, when it comes to the person that we feel should be in the seat, uh, that's a whole other story. The situation at hand right now is that people are suffering. And it is not uh, the police against the people or the people against the mayor or the mayor against the uh, government. It is all about the suffering of the people. And so that's why I agree with Jonathan, because the city has been defunded as far as black and brown people in the community. They took 50 schools out of there. They took they closed banks, uh, the, 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 the companies that would be able to employ the people are gone. Whoever heard of one magnificent mile in Chicago uh, water tower? with missing stores. These things are happening because of crime. And there, you cannot eradicate crime unless you restore the resources back in the community. Now, who's brave enough to do that is the question. Who wants to bring their businesses in a crime-infested area where they will not last? It's been tried before, it failed, and it's not working. So I'm for, as much as I love Uh, Brandon Johnson, and I told people in the beginning that that young man was going to give them a run for their money. I really just do believe that his time will come. I do. Uh, Paul Ballas, when he was there, I remember my kid was in the school system when he was there. I didn't see much of a problem with the school system. However, that's what it's going to take. It's like the commissioner just said. You've got to educate the people. Again, you got to keep kids in school. You got to give a reason for them to wake up and not look at abandoned buildings that have red X's across the street from them where they get up with no hope every day. No hope. 
We got them coming out here to group homes, Santita, who uh, parents have neglected them. They don't have education, and they're trying to rise to a, the occasion. And I'm focused on that as well when I see. I know the city swagger when I see it. And so all I'm saying is that, no, defund the police is not the answer. But when you got your foot on somebody's neck, they're going to holler out any kind of slogan. They don't care. They're just trying to get some relief. And some of these people are not that well-versed or intellectually well-equipped to say what it is that they really need. When you have food deserts that are not feeding our children the healthiest of meals, and more liquor stores and drug-infested areas than you have anything else, what do you expect? But you know what, so, Ms. Brent? I yeah. think that, I mean, I put this to the whole to the whole panel, and everyone continue to look at us on the Santita Jackson and Friends page and on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel. I feel that the naming, you know, the the character characterization of this program as defund the police is such an obvious mess, I can't help but be suspicious of it. Because no one, that is just not what you do. I mean, that is just such a lightning rod. What you say is, you know, you would define the police, refund the police. You know, there's just, that was just, it's a non-starter. You can't even have a conversation when you say defund the police. I mean, as no one's talking about, as Congressman Jackson, you know, talked, discussed yesterday, that's why I brought the audio from the Keep Hope Alive show, that their own pensions have been defunded. So, I mean, there's just something that's not you know, we'll hear from you on the other side of the break, Attorney C.K. Hoffler. There's something that's not happening here, but I'm wondering, you know, whose message is going to win? Will it be Paul Vallis's message of law and order? Do you think he's going to come in and clean everything up? Although crime was going down on on Mayor Lightfoot's watch, everybody. It was. It was. And, you know, the corporate media always push that crime, crime, crime is going through the roof as crime, crime, crime is going down. Mm-hmm. So what is what is going on, everybody? And what will be the winning message? Call me at 773-763-9278-773-763 WCPT Abraham down there in Venezuela. I'm sending you much love today. Back with more of the Santita Jackson show in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. Call me at 773-763-9278. Attorney C.K. Hoffler is joining uh, Cook County, excuse me, not Cook County, excuse pardon me, Harris County Commissioner. Let me not make you an Illinoisan. Oh, my word. He is a Texan, everybody, from the great Republic of Texas. <laughs> That's right. He's going to be coming up here. And his son's going to be at the University of Chicago. Love it, love it, love it. Well, you know, if that's what he chooses. And, of course, we all Richard love, we all Wilson. love Chicago. We love Chicago, and plus he'll be home. You know, come on. University of Chicago, that's uh, Jackson School. We all go there or have been there. Um, But let me go to you, Attorney C.K. Hoffler, uh, because you have to deal with a lot of these cases of police malfeasance, and there's just a lot going on. What do you think is going to win? What what is the winning message? Well, I think um, Jonathan hit it on the nail. Uh, Congressman Jackson hit it on the nail. Um, with his comments, Santita and, and the panel, because he, it's got, there's got to be a blend. 
you know, people are hating on lawyers because they're saying, well, the only people that make money in this are the lawyers who are representing the families. Trust me, we don't want to represent the families. We prefer to have live people than, than be in a situation where, we're, where we are representing hmm. people who have been killed, chased down, whether it's through police brutality or anything else. So what happens in Chicago really is happening in Detroit. It's happening in Atlanta, where I am, where the exact same issues were confronting um, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottom. And so it, she just chose not to run again. So I think the combination of working on our community, you know, when you don't have a strong base, you can make all these policy decisions that you want to, but you don't have a strong base. If the kids aren't in school and they're on the street because their schools have been defunded, because their schools are not a place where they are safe, because their schools have, have, don't have, like in Atlanta, some public schools don't have books. How do you have a school that doesn't have books? And the teachers are doing the best they can and making copies of lessons that they're trying to teach the kids. That's what we're seeing. And probably I'm pretty sure in Chicago, but we're definitely seeing that in Atlanta and other cities. So we have to attack it at its core. I think Jonathan made that point. But in addition to that, we've got to retrain, retool the police. And then my own thing that I think needs to be injected in that we need a George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. We do need more accountability for law enforcement. I think there's a combination of all that, and I think that is, I, I don't think we can say we're just going to support the police and give them more. We need to make sure the police are being held, make sure the police are being held well. And so I think, Santita, it's a combination. I don't want to see these cases on the rise. Police brutality has been on the rise since the murder of George Floyd. They killed more people very, last very year than they have ever. It's all intertwined and it's not just Chicago, but we're all watching Chicago because what happens in Chicago is a wake up call and it's going to happen throughout the country in my, in my estimation, especially it's going to be a point where the Democrats or the Republicans are going to use it in the um, presidential elections. We saw that Donald Trump is already talking some stuff and we're going to see where Joe Biden is going to talk some stuff. Joe Biden is talking about how when we have, as we do in Florida, and it seeps into Georgia, this debate about critical race theory and what we can teach and can't teach kids. Well, when you already have a very, very infirm, very infirm school system, and then we're taking out reality, taking out history, black history in the schools, it just compounds the problem. And that's what we're seeing in Florida. So Chicago has a, has what happens in Chicago is is very much going to be instructive to the rest of the country. But if we don't attack at its core, you can mm-hmm. you can implement all these policies if you want to. But if the kids are on the street like they are here selling water and holding up people, then because they're not in school, because the schools are not a good place for them to be, unfortunately, then we're just we're just going in and we're going in circles. It's like inertia, and we're. We're going into a a situation where we're engaging in insanity. We're doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result, and the result is going to be the same unless we attack it at its core, like Jonathan said. Let me bring on Shapiro, but I'm going to pivot to uh, to the commissioner when we come back from from Shapiro because I well, well, just very quickly. I mean, commissioner, how do you? Is there anything that you can do in gov- in governance, or is this a cultural problem, or is it, is it both? And I mean, wh- what do you do? 
look, it's incremental. Um, you know, when somebody has someone breaking in their home, all that focus is on generally it's the police. You got me? So it makes it real challenging. And then after George Floyd, by the way, you had a serious moment of reckoning, not just in this country, but around the globe. There's some academics who say that there was a slowdown in policemen and police women doing their job because it was a reaction to being questioned. I'm not saying that's necessarily the case, but you can Google it and research shows up on it. So you had people waiting, trying to figure out how to bring the old days back. Because for a second there, you know, Floyd's death led to the largest demonstrations in the history of the world at that time. I think some people would say in India, you might have had a farmer strike. So many people in India that may have led to larger individual demonstrations, but around the world, from doing everybody. And look at that, statutes all over the globe. Everybody felt that foot on their neck. So they were looking for a way to bring things back. And they probably, on the other side, the right wing, they were doing polling. I'm not saying you go do polling and you let that determine how you govern, but you do use polling to help you figure out what message works. And I'm willing to bet you that defined the line. When that got pressed, might have been initially out of Minnesota, but I'm not sure which city it was. But it got some national press. And as I stated earlier, what they were trying to say was, we need to invest in some of these alternatives. They didn't necessarily want to say, go take money away from that. And somebody grabbed that phrase, defund. And look how we use it now. So whatever we're angry about, there are all kinds of things that don't get adequate funding. But the phrase you leap to is defunding with the media, even all of us on social media, crime sales. If you're a lazy reporter, you're trying to help your ratings, your corporate entity, you want to sell product. You want to get your ratings of what sales? Blood and gut. And, and we fall for that, almost like we are delusional. But I'm saying most of these problems are so complex. Look, hey, the best way to avoid somebody turning to crime is what? A job. Best way to have a job is what? Have a skill. Best way to have a skill is what? Have an education. You know, best way to have a business is what? Access to capital. So you're talking about generational problems. You can go back and trace the history of policing, by the way, when it started. I mean, what were they doing? I mean, they were slave, they, they were on slave patrols. We, we all know that. But so I'm saying, I just want to stress for Brandon Johnson, he's got to expand his base. You know I'm big on criminal justice reforms, uh, and, and all the way from chairing the Board of Innocence Project out of New York. The easy thing to do is just go pour more money into what you have been doing. That's traditional boots on the ground. And then you can't do, then don't ask questions. I mean, yeah, Giuliani could say it made a difference. He's locking everybody up. Hey, the issue of bail reform, they turned that into a, a nasty phrase. I mean, that started in my town, Houston, Texas, misdemeanor bail. That's what led you all to do it, doing it in Cook County. Republican federal judge wrote a brilliant interim opinion saying if all of us on this call have the same profile and two of us have money, we get out, same profile. The others who don't have money stay in. Now, how does that square with the equal protection clause? with my great lawyer, C.K. Hoffler, on the line. It does not. Uh, but look, so it's, it's just complication. But Brandon's got to expand his base. You see Ballas trying to expand his. He's trying to temper his stuff to run over there. And, oh, I'm really much more moderate. For Brandon Johnson to win, he's got to get the votes of people who voted for other candidates. 
and he's got to get them to come back out. I think the Hispanic vote is going to be important. I remember Mm -hmm. when Mr. Washington ran, and as a result of him winning, he really brought Hispanics, Latinos, in Chicago to power. I can't remember his name now, Luis, I think. Luis Gutierrez. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, he made him. No, no, I'm talking about the one he made president of the school board, which is a big deal. Oh. Uh, a business guy. didn't stay in politics. Yeah. I'm yeah. too old. Yeah, too old to remember now. Gary Chico. Gary Chico. Yeah, which is why it was a smart move to have the Hispanic Congresswoman uh, to uh, introduce Brandon Johnson, uh, Commissioner Johnson, at his uh, celebration for getting into the run-up. But you're going to see ballots. You're going to see some smiling faces, you know, oh, uh, uh, moving yes. to that camp as well. Absolutely. Well, let me go to Shapiro. Shapiro, what's on your mind today? Good morning, Santita, and to your panel. Uh, I had I had to really, you know, calm myself down because I have been so upset uh, ever since this runoff was announced because I am seeing the black middle class as well as the black elite uh, come out for Dallas, and I'm like, what in the hell is going on with y'all? And I say that because. You know, many of your audience know that my son was killed. We just celebrated uh, the seven-year anniversary of his passing in Chicago. And so a lot of people feel that automatically I am uh, pro-police. I am pro-black. I am pro-saving black people. I am not for allowing the the police to actually come out and, and kill us. Because what Valens is advocating for is an uh, open season on black and brown people. What he's asking for is uh, basically defunding more of our educational system. There is nothing, there's absolutely nothing that he stands for that black people will benefit for. And then the fact that people have forgotten that the head of the FOP during this administration with uh, Mayor Lightfoot said, if you don't, if you don't follow me, I'm going to tell my people to stand down. So when Commissioner Ellis talks about this blue flu of the uh, the police not doing what they were supposed to do, that is absolutely happening in Chicago and has been going on. And so that that way, crime is very segregated in the black community. It's like five neighborhoods in Chicago where this crime occurs. And so what we're seeing is that this is a targeted uh, effort to undermine the, the mayor. So no matter who's in office, if you're not riding with the FOP, they're not going to come out and support you and, and protect your communities. I mean, I'm seeing uh, white people say they don't feel safe. Mount Greenwood, Beverly, Northside, downtown, they're the safest places in Chicago. What in the hell are they talking about? So where we're feeling the, the, the pain is in the black community. And the solve rate for Chicago is right now about the murder solve rate is about 30%. So where can you work and only have a 30% performance rate? This is what is happening in Chicago. So let's not be fooled. Let's call a spade a spade. That is not for Chicago and it's not for black people. He is not talking about he's going to sit up here and employ black people, increase the, uh, the minority contract rate. Come on, black people. Come on. Hold on, Dwight. Dwight, why don't you respond to what you heard from Shapiro? Well, well, I agree with Shapiro. It's all a pretext to reimpose white supremacy. It's uh, 
songs to say songs that George Miller played, songs that made the hit parade. Folk like us, we had it made, those were the days. That was the theme song to Archie Bunker. And what he was saying is that there was a time when white people was in charge of everything unopposed. And that's what they want to go back to. And yeah. so the crime issue, what Shapiro uh, clearly identified, affects the black community beyond any other community, is a pretext, solving crime, a pretext that that part of the community will be so intimidated that they will vote ballots in charge as okay. a savior, a white savior. Okay. And okay. it is a pretext he's not going to identify and deal with the cr- the crime issue as much as he's going to lock black people up. And he's going to put white people in charge of all of the existing resources as they had before and then dole it out among themselves and call it justice and natural. It is the same strategy that Trump is using as he talks about make America great again. It's the same buzzword. Attorney Hoffler. Then white people. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. Please, please. I don't want. I didn't want to interrupt you. I thought you were. I didn't know you no, were taking a pause. Buzz, I thought you were. Yeah, I'm sorry. The same buzzword is the uh, let's put white people in charge again. Okay, let me go to Mama D. Mama D, what's on your mind today? Well, hallelujah. Greetings to everybody. I think uh, not being able to say black without brown added on is a problem. I think Congress shall make no laws of bridging the rights of citizens. And when they are giving non-citizens all the executive orders and governmental leg up and, and uh, the citizens, all the things, especially NAAs, Indigenous, Native American, Africans, all the things that we had to go through to get the right to vote, children bombed in churches, beaten, burned, and all of a sudden you're just going to say, oh, well, everybody ought to be able to vote and hand it over. It's a problem. There's a big elephant in the room, and the question is, are you going to put the sanctuary settlers' privileges above the people's rights? Well, I mean, what about coalition politics, Commissioner? I mean, what about those? I mean, you are in Texas, and, of course, you have campaigned with Reverend, and that's one of the things that we learned. While Reverend never abandoned the black community, the fact is, Harold Washington, you know this, when he ran, he had to have a black-brown coalition. He had to have you? Some, some white people who who, who signed on to him. It's just, you can't do this by yourself. You have to have a very, very, very excited black base. There's no question uh-huh. about that. But you yeah, have uh-huh. got to pull in other people. You've got to. You've got to help everyone to see, get, get a buy-in. That's just, that's the way it yeah. has to work. And and that's how and, we, because we should also, all be winning, we should all be winning together. We should all be winning together. Yeah. While, and, and I'm not going to abandon the black community. That having been said, we've got to all win together. This is about us not creating black tyrants. We're trying to create justice, which is odorless and colorless. Uh, Commissioner, it's so important, and you you said it even better than than I can say it. Not only is it good politics, it's the right thing to do. Also, women, you know, uh, you know, it's a rainbow coalition. Poor whites, 
you know, uh, how about the Native Americans? Oh, that's why our tent is such such a difficult one to pull together because we have these factions that have all been stepped on. To use a phrase we think of with George Floyd, all of us had our necks stepped on. It's common in any society in the world to have people who have the least among us fighting against one another. And those who have the most tend to encourage that. And it's a difficult thing to do because you got all these have-nots. Everybody's trying to get that piece. Remember when I make reference to whoever came up with that defund phrase instead of reimagine? You know, rather than people want to say we need more of it because that's a challenge. You can say take something from somebody else, redistribute it. And it's a, it's a big challenge. But, no, you got to have coalition politics. And no matter how hard it is, it is the right thing to do. Just figure out how we lift all those boats as many as we can. And in both communities, but blacks and browns in particular, it, it's common. I mean, you know, they would be now slightly above blacks as the largest minority in America. You have black Latinos. And look, hey, in, even in our community, whatever we've done with this black thing, to demonize it, by the way, even in our own culture, even in black countries, by the way, whatever has been done on the face of this planet to demonize darkness, that beautiful blackness, uh, it's, it's tragic. And we got to educate our communities, but we have to have coalition politics or we will not win. That's right. Santita, may I say something quickly? Mm-hmm. Uh, when I watched the Selma uh, uh, Pettus Bridge thing yesterday, I saw your dad. Thank God he was able to make it. I'm so happy for him. And it saddened me when he said he didn't know if he would be back. But the other part of it is the first time Martin came across, Dr. King came across that bridge, it was us. It was just blacks. It was the, 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 the auntie in the kitchen. It was the the mailman. It was the, it was people who uh, were from grassroots communities, and of course we know what happened. That's why it was called Bloody Sunday. It was not until he came back with a coalition of people, Arab. I mean, yeah, Arab, Muslim, rabbis, Catholic, all of those people, white, black, brown, came across that bridge. That it was successful. The same thing is going to have to happen with the city of Chicago. We can't do it by ourselves. I looked at statistics yesterday, 29% black, 29% Hispanic. Yeah, if they come together, that's near 60%, they could take the city. But you know what? There's a lot of downtrodden situations there that people don't feel like they can come up. A lot of blacks left the city of Chicago. I'm waiting to come back. My heart is rooted in that skyline. I'm out here in the, in the western suburbs. I'm waiting to come back. But you know what? The same problems are out here, too. The state's attorney just told me, Regina, hey, listen, we're down in our uh, prosecutors because of the salaries. They can't make it to pay their scout, their school student loans. And so people don't want no $40,000 job. They don't want a $50,000 job. But guess what happened? When you have racism, it hurts both people, the ones who are inflicting it and the ones who are suffering by it. Because, yes, crime is going to go up, and you're going to have a staff. You can't handle those cases fast enough. And that's what's happening with the judicial system. You know, I mean, it's just it's happening all over the place. But I tell you what, coalition politics is what's going to have to happen. But what cannot happen in the coalition politics is black people can be at the center of it. You can't abandon black people and black issues because ultimately what helps black people helps everybody else. That's the way it has worked in this 
in, in America, in the American project, it is what black people have fought for that has changed the country and has changed it for everybody else. But, you know, the question is, you know, and I think that Shapiro makes a great point uh, that, you know, you're seeing establishment blacks and middle class blacks and blacks who are comfortable, who are supporting Paul Vallis and black people who are feeling the pain who are not. And um, and I'm wondering what uh, how that's all going to shake out on April 4th. What do you think is going to happen? Everybody, I've got about, ooh, two and a half minutes before I before I push on out. 30 seconds, uh, just inside of 30 seconds, uh, Reverend, uh, Reverend Wilson. I think we don't have to wonder what's going to happen. We have to work to make it happen. And when we turn out and vote our strength, we win. And so I think we have to each be committed to turning out the vote. We have to make sure that those who are registered vote. We have to make sure those who are unregistered register and vote. And and I think that's take the pastors in these churches Busting people to the polls, our sororities, our fraternities, because there are no real haves and have-nots. None of us are getting our fair share of the economic pie. And the only way you're going to get that is to turn out and vote and then hold the people you put in office accountable. Absolutely. So I, I am I am committed to turning on the vote. I'm going to call 10, tell 10, text 10, tweet 10. Come oh, you know, and I want to get—I want to get these—I want to get the kids out. But uh, commissioner, that's what I'm talking about. Thirty seconds for you. It'll all be turnout. Little, lot of prayer, little luck, a lot of money. You know, weather will be a factor. Whether or not people are voting early. You know, who makes the most gaffes? Both sides are going to make some mistakes. A lot is at play. We saw it in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, there'll be money, bukus of money on both sides, but it'll be a very close race. Hmm. Well, Attorney Hoffler, I don't want Very to see another rate. lawsuit for someone else who's dead. <laughs> I mean, right. I don't. And, and I don't either. And I don't want to be part of another lawsuit. No, you uh, don't. On behalf of family. I really don't. Because there are better solutions. But if people don't get out of vote, that's going to be it. Because Chicago, you all have same day registration. We would love to have same day registration throughout the country. And so if people don't get out of vote with same day registration, that's going to allow those who are who are vote who are involved in voter suppression to say, "See, it doesn't work. We don't need to do have same day registration because people are not voting." <clears throat> Excuse me. So it's important to turn out the vote. Well, you know turn what I'm going to do. If you all could stay with me for just a few minutes on the other side, because I'm going to have to get out. I have a hard out because you know we're on in more than one city. I want to get some closing thoughts from you on the other side. Um, And um, just stay right here, everybody. Stay here on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel and on the Santita Jackson and Friends Facebook page. What's going to win? And how could we make Chicago and the country and the world the safe haven that it's supposed to be? It's supposed to be the beloved community. That is the goal, everybody. That's where we're supposed to be going. And we have to get there. And guess what? We're going to have to get there together. Period. Period. I don't mind black people leading a movement, but I'm not trying to have a black paradise. I want a paradise for everybody. 